Welcoming fans to the Utah Lax Report. I'm your host, Tim Haslam. This episode of the podcast features Timview head coach Taylor Red. We talked to Taylor about coaching at Timview and also when he coached at BYU. Taylor also played at BYU, and we talk about him growing up in Michigan, spending some time in Texas, and also being from Virginia. We also talk about the RPI. Coach Red is a data analyst for Adobe during his day job, so he kind of does this for a living, which is exciting. So hope you give it a listen. Hope you enjoy. As always, the Utah Lax Report podcast is sponsored by GroupSpot. Whether you're an organized high school team, a casual group of friends playing pickup, or a fully supported booster club, GroupSpot brings the team together like never before. Elevate your game and get to the finish ahead of the competition with GroupSpot. You can learn more about GroupSpot at groupspot.app slash sports teams. Welcome to the show, Coach. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you? Good. Thanks for joining me today. I really appreciate it. For those listening, honestly, this has been a long time coming, Coach. I, I think, you know, <laughs> it took it took Good Friday and neither of us working to, to make this work. Absolutely. We've been talking about this since uh, maybe since last year when we started our, some of our conversations about RPI and some other things. But kind of been talking about this and then we've been trying to schedule it for at least the last three or four weeks at least. So glad to be here. You're, you're in season. You've got a bunch of bunch of games and practices and you're responsible for young, young adults, which is awesome. I am I'm not responsible for young adults at the moment, but I am also busy <laughs> <laughs> going to games and going to a lot of games. Going to more games than I do, I think, probably. Yeah, lots of games. Multiple games a week, yeah. Yeah, I, I am hitting multiple games a week. I'm actually heading down your way to the Pace and Layton game today. And Oh, nice. It should be fun. I, I'm really excited about it. One one reason for that is after this game, I will have gone to the northernmost team, which is Skyview, and the easternmost team, which is Wasatch, and now this will be the southernmost team. Wow, um, are you hitting all the corners. What's the furthest west team? Do you know the the furthest west team? So in the Salt Lake Valley, the furthest west is Copper Hills, and I've actually been there this year. But if you look at Google Maps and kind of draw a line, you're going to get then into West like Lake Syracuse. Or... Oh, Syracuse. Uh, yeah, oh, yeah. Westlake. No, it West could Lake, be Westlake. Yeah, yeah. I'll I'll need to rethink that because I forgot about them. And I is Cedar Valley. Cedar Valley. Cedar Valley. More west. Yeah, I don't know. Okay, yeah, I've got some work to do on the furthest <laughs> west team. I stumped you already. I mean, usually you're like on top of everything, and there's no right. way I can say stump you. But well, that's the thing is like Skyview's easy, Payson's easy, Wasatch is easy. But yeah, when you talk, start talking about that west, that west border, it can get a little complicated, a little bit so, tricky. That's right. Uh, let's let's start with the first question that I ask all the guests uh, that come on, and when when and where did you start playing lacrosse? Yeah, I started playing lacrosse. Oof, uh, I should have thought about this before you asked the question because I knew it was coming. I was in fifth grade, so that would have, without maybe disclosing my age, but that was uh, 96-ish, um, somewhere around there, 97-ish. So I started playing in Northern Virginia. I grew up in Northern Virginia, so I started playing there. I was introduced to it by uh, a couple of friends, uh, the Gerard brothers who played at BYU both for one year, but they they played since they were, I don't know, first grade or something. And they, I had always wanted to play with them and took me some convincing to get my parents to let me play, but finally convinced them. And I started playing, I think, I think the first official season was 97 and then have been playing and coaching since then. So it's been, it's been a long run. <laughs> sure. And, and you started playing, you know, at that young age, I'm assuming you played, you know, through middle school and high school. What, what was the name of your high school? So it's interesting. So I grew up in Northern Virginia all the way up until I was in high school. My freshman year, we moved to to Michigan. So the high school I went to was called Eisenhower High School. 
in in uh, Shelby Township, Michigan. The high school I would have gone to in Virginia is Broad Run. And then my family moved back and I would have gone to Langley had I been at high school in, in Virginia. But so it kind of bounced around. But the high school I actually went to is Eisenhower High School, the Eagles, home of the Eagles. There you go. And and I, I talked to Jordan Hyde for the Utah Lacrosse podcast, and he was from Michigan as well. And and he said it was just exploding. Now he's a little younger. What, what was the lacrosse scene like uh, in Michigan when you were playing? Yeah, it was not, I would not say it was exploding. It was uh, starting to, to, you know, to, to this avalanche was starting. It was starting to like pick up a little bit, but it was still pretty raw. There was obviously two really good teams when I was playing. Brother Rice, which was a Catholic private school. I guess maybe three. Cranbrook, which is another private school. And then Birmingham Seaholm, which was a school about 40 minutes away. Those three were the kind of dominant high schools. And then everyone else was just trying to like feel the team. Usually it was multiple high schools banding together to make a team. But there's a couple of high schools that were solid. So Troy Athens and Troy had some solid teams. And so there was a couple of places that had had solid teams, but it was very much uh, in the growth stages. Very similar to like where Utah was about, I don't know, 20-ish years ago when I came to, to BYU for the first time, but maybe a little bit further ahead than, than Utah at that point. But yeah, about, about like that. And, and as you, you talk about, you know, playing in high school, wh- when did you know or, or maybe want to start exploring playing lacrosse in college? Yeah, it's a great question. I honestly, like I was, I fell in love with lacrosse before I even signed up for a team. Uh, like I said, I was begging my parents to play. I just thought it was the coolest thing. In fact, I, I remember an art class in like fourth grade before I even started playing, I, I drew a lacrosse goal and I actually drew it like upside down with a triangle facing up because that's I, in my friend's backyard. That's how we always would, would play on it. But I was just obsessed with it. But honestly, didn't think I was going to like play collegiately for sure until like my senior year. So I went to a ton of the BYU camps. I was actually trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And for school the next year, BYU was a little bit on my radar, but not really. I really wanted to go to either UVA, Virginia Tech, or Princeton um, were kind of the three schools I really wanted to go to. I didn't think I was good enough to, to play at UVA or, or uh, Princeton for sort of obvious reasons. But uh, yeah, I went to the BYU camps and Coach Lamb called me up probably September of my senior year and was like, hey, you know, we like loved having you at camp. was really looking forward for, you know, for you to come in here and hoping you can try out and he was probably just doing it as a, as a courtesy, you know, like probably talking to a lot of guys, but that, but that was the first time I was like, Oh man, I, I like, yeah, I would love to play in college. That's like my dream. I just didn't know that was really like an option. And so that really put BYU at the top of my list of places where I wanted to go. And I was fortunate enough to get in and, 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 you know, play at, at BYU under a great coach. And, and you played there in, in your words, not mine, random years. <laughs> You know, 2005, 2006, then 2008 and 2010. Talk about just your lacrosse experience in general at BYU. Oh, man, I like I it couldn't have been a better experience. Unbelievable guys there. Great coaches as a whole. It was an awesome experience. I played in 05 and 06 and, uh, you know, in, in a lot of ways, I, you know, they won the national championship in 07. So I I missed this national championship. I went on a, a church mission. Before I even went, I had, had hurt my ankle and I ended up needing to get surgery. So came home to get surgery and had that fixed. But I was one year away from having, you know, being on the national championship team. I then ended up playing in 2008, 
2009, I got really busy with school, really started focusing on like career and what I wanted to do long-term. And it got a little bit too busy. I was graduating that year. So I didn't play in 2009. And then I, I got into graduate school at BYU. So I decided to play one final year, played at BYU in 2010. And then obviously they won the championship in 2011. So I, I was like right next to two championship years. Uh, and I joke with some of the guys I played with that I was like, maybe this is sacrilegious to say, but the John Baptist, John the Baptist of, of, of BYU lacrosse. I was there to, to usher it in, but, but, you know, wasn't, wasn't, you know, didn't, wasn't there when it actually happened. So, but uh, yeah, I missed it by two years, but like I had an amazing experience and honestly winning a national championship would have been the cherry on top, but I don't really think it took anything away from my experience, the guys that I met there, the things that I learned there. And, and really those are things that I think are way more, valuable and important than than the championship so it was a bummer to miss those but you know couldn't have asked for a better experience and and as we talk about those those years at BYU you know is there a certain game or maybe a certain rival that that comes to mind when you think about that time yeah there's some really really good ones I mean CSU always has like a yeah I just I hate CSU I mean I actually have met some people from there since then they're all great people but we had pretty intense rivalries with CSU. And uh, the other one that I, you know, maybe a more of a personal one, but Michigan, especially, you know, my first two years, Michigan hadn't had that huge run of undefeated for, I don't know how long, but coming from Michigan, kind of knowing some of the guys there and kind of knowing some of that back history, I always like looked forward to that game. And that was one that I was circled because, um, a lot of my friends knew guys that played at Michigan or, you know, I knew some of them and, you know, there's always that like wanting to show them up a little bit. So those are the two that I probably circled on my calendar the most later on CU kind of dominated CSU and CU kind of became, Colorado became kind of the, the, I don't know, bigger, bigger, bigger rivalry, but for most of my time, CSU and, and Michigan were the, the two big ones. And, and as you, you know, graduate from BYU, I'm assuming you go and, and get a normal job and, and start working. What sort of path did you take after graduation? Yeah, so after I graduated, I, well, I graduated my undergrad and then went um, straight into a, into a master's program, like I think, you know, I kind of mentioned earlier and, and played one more year at BYU. And then I had one more year of the master's program. During that second year, I actually started coaching because that was always like my dream and my passion. In high school and most of college, I wanted to be a math ed major, teach high school math or physics, and then start coaching along with that. But but during school, I kind of pivoted a little bit and kind of went down this data science approach. And so started coaching while I was still finishing grad school. Once I finished grad school, I got a job at a marketing company uh, in Lehigh, just doing you know data science and data analytics. I was there for just a short amount of time, for about nine months or a year. And then I got a job in Austin, Texas, and I moved down there to work with a really small startup company down in, in Austin. And since then, I've kind of bounced around and now work at, uh, work at Adobe in uh, Lehigh as a data scientist. And, and we'll talk about that part a little bit coming up here because it ties in a little bit with the, another part of the discussion that I want to have about the RPI. But yeah. in, while, while you're in Texas, did you do any coaching down there? Yeah, so I started coaching... I mean, maybe to back up a little bit, I started coaching while I was in grad school up at Bingham a High School, coached with Marshall Kay, who, you know, some people who've been around the sport for a long time will know that name, learned a ton. I was actually roommates with Marshall at BYU, 
So I coached at, at Bingham for two years, learned a ton from Marshall. Like, yeah, I mean, I learned a ton of BYU, learned a ton more from Marshall, coaching with him. And then I moved down to, uh, to Austin and for a job and just happened to get put in touch with a guy named Noah Fink, who is a uh, pretty big adrenaline, one of the adrenaline guys. And he runs a lot of stuff for adrenaline and, and just was lucky enough to, to get hooked up with him and coached at a pretty small private, private school down in Austin. You know, and so that was a, a really fun experience. And, and so it was a really fun experience to kind of coach at that level and coach on there and coach with someone who's totally different coaching tree than most of the guys that I had kind of come up with and learned, you know, again, a ton of stuff that I had never been exposed to about, especially offensively, some really good stuff from Noah. He's really, really smart, really knows the game, been around it for a long time. So uh, yeah, I was down there for about two years and had a really good experience down there. And in the MCLA tournament is going to be in Austin this year. Well, technically round rock, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I would love to go down there for it. I don't know if our season will, will align and let me go down there, but I, Austin is like my favorite city, uh, probably in the world. Not that I've done a ton of world traveling, but enough to know that it's, it's, it's up there. The food and music scene is hard to beat down in Austin. It's a, it's a great place. I've been there once. I'm actually heading to the MCLA tournament, so I'm excited to, to go back. Should be a great time. Should be a great tournament. You know, a couple of Utah teams will likely feature well there. After Texas, though, you come back to Utah, like you mentioned, to work at Adobe. And at that time, you go and coach at Timview and then at, at BYU for two years and then and now back at Timview. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I was at Timview for two years, coached with uh, actually Jordan Harris, who, uh, you know, I think you've maybe mentioned earlier in the in the podcast, Johnny Jackson and another one of our friends, Jeremy Reif. So we coached all there together. Johnny was the head coach and Jordan and I kind of coached the defense, Jeremy with the offense. And then they all left me high and dry. I, I took over as the head coach or maybe maybe that's why they left is because I took over as the head coach. I'm not really sure. But was there for a year, then went to BYU uh, as a defensive coordinator with Jordan in 2017 and then took over it was the offensive coordinator in 18 and then and then decided to come back to Tim to kind of I don't know run my own my own my own show I guess yeah and, and that's certainly uh, something to be said right different coaches thrive in different environments and you know sort of being at the helm is definitely an aspect to consider let's talk about this current Tim View team I, I've seen you guys now uh, twice aside for a quarter up at Highland and then you know this past week we did the game that live broadcast yeah. with your overtime unfortunately lost to, to Skyline <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know there were some great plays by both teams and it, it was a, just a fun back and forth game you know talk to us about this team though tell us you know to the average fan maybe what's something that stands out to you as their coach you know and and maybe something to describe how they're how they're playing and how they're coming together yeah so this team's it's fun we're a young team super young I think we had 18 seniors last year most of them were full-time starters and so coming into this year I honestly did not know really what to expect from from our guys um but they've stepped up and sort of rose the, the occasion Charlie Friedman's you know is a guy who's played on started on varsity, I think all four years and obviously is really like a heartbeat to a lot of what we do. And, and it kind of starts with him. And I knew he'd be great because he was great last year and he was great the year before, but outside of, of Charlie, it was a little bit of question marks. We had two really, really 
talented midfielders, but they were on our second line last year. Finbar Williams and, and Aiden Rawl, and, and like I knew they'd, they'd bring it and they would, they would, you know, would, would rise up. But outside of that was, you know, a lot of question marks. Those were like the really the only three consistent contributors on, on varsity last year. We had another senior defenseman, McKay, who, who, who played some varsity last year and, and, you know, but didn't have a ton of starting experience on varsity. So, you know, we didn't know what to expect, but we're, yeah, we, we were playing, I think way at a way higher level than I was sort of expecting. Um, Goalie was another, I mean, I don't want to go through every position, but goalie was another question mark we had. Uh, our goalie has been playing lacrosse for uh, 13 months, just over a year, and uh, is an absolute uh, monster of a kid, great leader and great lacrosse player, but, you know, even better person. So, and then we have, so he's young, he's a sophomore, and then we have two really young poles, a freshman and a sophomore. So we have a ton of really young guys. And I have to keep reminding myself that because we play so well sure. at times and there's times where we're like, ah, I don't know what we're doing. I have to remind myself we're still really, really young. We're still learning how to play at the speed and at the pace that I sort of demand from them, which is not uh, a small feat. I'm, I can be, you know, fairly demanding on, on like kind of the expectations I have for the guys. But the, to their credit, they they have gone way above and beyond what, you know, what I, you know, we could have expected. So uh, it's been a fun team. Like I said, we're still learning. We're still growing. We're still trying to figure out who we are and, you know, what our strengths and weaknesses are, but we're, I think we're coming into, coming into our own as we kind of head into the back half of the season. And, and you talk about that back half of the season. I'm, I've got the schedule up here now, mainly region games. You know, you still got Jordan Lee, High Alta, Timpanogos, Mountain View, Orem. So basically restarting the region and then and then one glaring game at the very end of the season coach that's a, a Thursday May 12th against Park City yeah so we have I, I would say we have two big I mean all of our games are big but the two that we kind of are you know or at least I'm focusing on it you know and thinking about is the Alta game obviously they kicked our trash uh, and hats off to them they're a great team they play fast and and they're impressive so we want to I have the opportunity to play them again and to kind of see where we've grown and where we've improved. And then obviously, yeah, that Park City games, you know, our last game of the year. And I did that sort of on purpose. I thought last year we uh, had a region schedule that I didn't think prepared us for the playoffs as well. And I think it kind of showed in our in our first round defeat. So I really wanted to have a tough game that really prepared us for what the playoffs are going to be like, and, and obviously picked a Park City team who's, I don't know, notoriously a great program uh, and really excited to play those guys at sort of the tail end of the season. Uh, you're right. Those are all uh, great points. Uh, you know, Alta definitely the sort of the favorite in your region, and then Park City probably one of the favorites in, in all of 5A. Yeah. You know, it'll be fascinating to see what happens to them as the season goes on. They've got to obviously play Olympus, which will be an, a, a great game. Though thinking about your team and, and sort of your program, what are some of the things, you know, uh, some guys have pillars, some have mottos, some have like non-negotiables. What are some of your team sort of bonding or, or, you know, culture type things that you guys employ? Yeah. So some of the things that, you know, we talk about a lot is like, you know, we got to play fast. And that's one of the things that I like tell the guys like every day is we got to play fast. We Like we expect to play faster than than anybody, any other team that we, that we play against, obviously that we play some great teams. I'm not saying we're always the fastest, but that's our expectation is that we're going to play uh, faster and, and more physical than, than other teams. 
And to do that, we spend a ton of time in the weight room. We lift year round. We lift during the season twice a week, uh, two to three times a week during the season, because I think it's such a physical, it's so important to be physically uh, ready to play sort of the style that we play. So that's a big one. You know, and along with that, I tell the guys like attack, attack, attack. If, you know, if anything, if you're ever in doubt, go like attack something, attack a ground ball, attack the offense, be aggressive on defense. If we make mistakes, we'll figure it out later. We'll fine tune it. We'll get better. But we got to be like in that mindset of like attack, attack, attack. And then obviously with that, though, you kind of have to, you know, there's there's the other side of that, that, you know, if you're attacking all the time, you, you're going to give up some stuff. You're going to have moments where you uh, make a mistake, moments where you give up a goal or, you know, throw a, throw, you know, have a turnover and, um you know, I try to really like hound the guys like, guys, I want you to take chances. And if you, we make mistakes, we make mistakes, but that's how you learn. And so those are the kind of three things that like we harp on a lot and we talk about a lot. And, and uh, yeah, I think those are the kind of what we pride ourselves on. Uh, you know, if you talk about pillars, those are kind of the things that I hope every game, the other teams thinks, man, that team plays fast. If they do that, you know, if they think that, then I feel like we've, we've accomplished, you know, what I want us to to do, whether we win or lose, that sort of takes care of itself. If we just fly around the field, you know, that's really what I'm concerned about the most. And, and as you think about, you know, your team moving forward, do you, do you see yourself, you know, where do you see the program in, in three to five years? Yeah, man, I'm, <laughs> I'm excited about where the program is going in three to five years. We have, we have obviously some great seniors. I mentioned Charlie, we all have some other guys. McKay, I mentioned, and, you know, and, and Finn Jackson, and, you know, I, I could go through, I think we have like six or seven, we have some twins that are, that are awesome. And, and so we have some guys that'll be leaving this year and, and they'll be, you know, hard to replace, but our core, you know, is really, really young. And so in three to five years, we're going to have some guys that are going to be absolute studs. James Bauer is a freshman who, um, a freshman attackman who's, who's, was awesome has, you know, been awesome all year, but I think really in the last two or three games really turned it on. And then we have another freshman Grant Rice, who's one of our best defenders and it's going to be really fun to see him kind of grow and, and develop into, I think one of the top defenders in the, in the state. So, you know, we're still, we're still young. We still are a building program. You know, we, we, I don't like our youth program is not quite to the same tier. Some of these other top tier programs, but, but we have a lot of really good core. And so I think in three years, yeah, we're, I'm excited to see where we're at because we have some great foundational pieces in place. And, and is Charlie Friedman, the last of the Friedmans or there more? <laughs> he, he's the last. So they have a, they have a, a daughter. I don't think mm. she's planning on playing at least boys lacrosse. I don't, I actually should probably check with her. She lives in my neighborhood, so I should know that, but it's the last of the Friedman of the Bill Friedman's line, which, you know, I, I would be remiss to, if I didn't mention Bill and how much he's done to the, for the Tim few program. And I mean, he's been, if there was a godfather of Tim few lacrosse, it would be, it would be Bill. So he's, you know, been a big part of the program and obviously his three sons have been a big part. And, and it's funny you use that term because Pete Stevenson would call Charlie, the, <laughs> well, the Charlie, the older Charlie Friedman, Bill's yeah. brother, the godfather of East Lacrosse. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and you guys played each other at the beginning of the season. We did. And that was an epic game. It was, I mean, yeah, the, we joked that was the, the Friedman Bowl and, and it, it would, did not disappoint. I mean, obviously we came out on top of that, so it feels a little bit better for us, but 
Charlie, I think, had 10 points or something crazy. You know, I didn't even notice. I knew he was playing well and then look at the stat sheet at the end of the game. And yeah, he he dominated and he was, you know, a huge reason why we were able to pull that one goal victory out. Let's switch gears uh, and talk about something that's that's still related. You know, we've talked a little bit about you being a data scientist at Adobe. First of all, what what does that mean, coach? Like, oh, man, the title I, sounds cool. Yeah. Like, what, what do you actually do at work? Yeah, I science data. I don't know how to make it more clear. <laughs> no, I don't know. If you figure it out, let me know. But it's it's a little bit data analyst analyzing a lot of data, especially big data, a little bit of programming and building statistical models and putting that into production code. It's a little bit about answering business questions. So kind of those three things all rolled up into one, one role, I guess, but it's pretty, yeah, it's a pretty loosely used term and it can mean a lot of different things, but essentially those are the three things that I, that I kind of focus on in my day-to-day boring job. And, and are you doing that for clients of Adobe or are you doing that internally or both? Yeah, I've, I've actually done both. I started as uh, working with Adobe for their clients and helping them analyze data. And now I've kind of switched to internal and, you know, I'm happy to go into any details you want, but it's pretty, pretty boring. But I work with our marketing department and I analyze web traffic data to give insights into how the market's performing, how the sort of global uh, e-commerce market is uh, performing. You know, I, I am very interested in that kind of thing. I, I don't know that our listeners would be, so maybe we could talk about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's what I figured. Most people aren't. <laughs> right, right. No, I, it actually is probably pretty fascinating. But as part of that, you know, obviously you're great with uh, spreadsheets and looking at a lot, a lot of numbers and, and pulling data from websites and all this stuff. And so that's lended yourself to kind of feed your other hobby of lacrosse. And those two kind of have been married and, and you've created your own RPI. Yeah. Uh, you well, know, it, yeah. Not RPI, but, but yeah, I mean, yeah. Oh, a ranking system. Yeah. And it, right. Right. And well, so I guess it- I, yeah, I, I also, yeah. Last year I worked on trying to replicate the RPI that max preps comes up with. So I guess I, in that case I did, I've done both, but yeah, I have uh, a ranking system that I, that I came up with and use. And, and it's called the red rankings and, and you, you know, are active on Twitter. It's, it's for the MCLA. So the league that, you know, BYU, UVU, play in and and basically you take all the data and, and kind of sort of create your own your own rankings what what goes into just creating something like that oh yeah it's a lot of learning you know i i i so i work with numbers all day but not in the in the sort of the use case of ranking system so i started this and was like yeah there's got to be a better way to rank mcla teams like BYU and UVU. And I didn't really love like the polls and I don't, some people have used RPI. One of my good friends, Jordan Harris, you know, you started kind of creating RPI just to start down this path of like, how could we rank teams? And we got to some conversations about some of the, some of the areas where we didn't think it performed great. And so that's kind of what stemmed this research topic, I guess, into like ranking systems and how you could rank teams and how you could rank things using scores versus just you know, who won and lost. And so, so yeah, there's a lot that goes into it, but a lot of it was learning how to like, um, how to make sense of the data and how to make an algorithm that, that made a ranking system. And then on top of that, you know, learning how to publish that. Every, so it runs every night uh, on a computer that I have and it automatically runs and then it automatically posts to Twitter every Monday. So learning how to do all that. And, and uh, it was also some learning experience. So there's a lot of stuff that kind of goes into the back, the background of that. 
That's, I think is interesting. Most people don't. Really care. <laughs> I, I think a lot of people are invested in, in sort of this, the, the notion of an RPI and, and all that simply because that's what we use to see our teams in the playoffs. Yeah. yeah. And, and so it's kind of become a hot button issue, you know? And, and so I guess my next question would be there, there probably isn't an ideal way to rank teams unless everyone played each other, yeah. which isn't realistic. And so you know, do you feel like the current RPI system or, or an RPI, not even necessarily the UHSA one, but do you feel that's a great, a great way to rank teams? Or do you think that there's, a, you know, another way that maybe could be proposed? Yeah, I'm not a big fan of the RP, of RPI in general. Uh, I think there's some severe limitations to it. I think it works a little bit better in college basketball where the mix of who you're playing is a little bit better and they play more games. Another sort of issue that I have is I think we play too many games at the high school level. I think 16 is, you know, as much as D1 plays and, you know, we don't need to play more games than that. Most D1 plays 12 to 14. You know, I don't think we need to play more than that. And I think if we played less than 16, we'd actually get rid of this home and home schedule that a lot of regions face, but that's probably another topic for another time. But yeah, so I think I have issues with RPI in general. I think it leads to some poor results because of some of the underlying issues of how it's calculated. And then I think just it doesn't really mix well with, with lacrosse and how lacrosse is, is played. So, yeah, but I do think there are ways to do rankings. I thought lax power was better and, you know, uh, the red rankings more in line with like lax power than it is RPI, although it has, it has pretty big differences from lax power as well. But I think those are fine. I think, you know, you could come up with a better ranking system, but ultimately like I, I'm a big proponent, big fan of like having the regions, you know, like the region winners, like make it to the playoffs and and have the regions like mean something. And so I would probably lean that way, but if that's not an option, I'd probably go with some other ranking system instead of RPI. Sure. And, and you mentioned something that I've, that I've kind of, touched on a tad in my, in my newsletter, but that's that, you know, the, the region winner only gets a trophy and, and, and look, maybe that's all they need, right? Yeah. Like, whatever. But in, in the sort of old days growing up, obviously, you know, the region winner, or when I played, it was conference, the conference winner would then go play the number four seed from a, a paired conference. Yeah. And that, and the irony is Taylor is Highland would always get matched up with Timview, which is <laughs> sort of ironic. You, you mentioned something though, like, and, and I think we may see this this year, obviously tons of lacrosse left to be played, but Maple Mountain right now is at the top of that region and they're the number 10 team in the RPI. And, and yeah. so basically you're going to say, let's assume that Maple Mountain wins the region. Obviously again, lots of lacrosse left to be played. And I, I don't, don't necessarily think they're the favorite. I would probably put Wasatch in that boat. But if, if this pan, you know, if the playoff started today, essentially you would have the the region champ from that region and look in 5a there's only four regions you would have that region champ as the number 10 team yeah and that's a little hard of a hard pill to swallow i think and and it doesn't necessarily reward region play yeah Uh, yeah and i think i mean especially if if we're doing this home and away sort of and i don't know what their region i don't know if they have home and away but uh, this home and away schedule like you know it's like we we we're pushing region play but we're also you know, I don't know, not, not rewarding region play. Like, you know, it's like, which one do we really care about? Do we really want us to like focus on the region or do we really not care about the region? And we're kind of in this like limbo zone. And it's, you know, I think we should like 
are they the 10th best team? I don't know. And I'm not going to like say they are, you know, they should be higher or lower than that, but I do think it's not the worst thing to reward someone who, who won, you know, the region, especially if they're playing twice, if most of their schedule in the regular season is like about winning that region. So, so yeah, I, I agree with that. Like I said, the other thing, the other issue is I think our, the RPI is also inherently uh, flawed. And, and maybe if, if you use something else besides RPI, maybe they would be rewarded more. I'm, I'm not sure. Yeah. And so, you know, I haven't put a ton of thought into this, but, but sort of the idea that makes sense to me, and especially in like 5A when you have an even number of regions, is the top two teams from each region, you know, get put into a bucket of eight. And then they're seeded one through eight based on RPI. And I think I'm okay with that. And then teams nine through the rest are the remaining, right? And so, you know, basically if you take third in your region, the best you could be is the nine seed, which I think is fair. Yeah. I mean, especially if you're, if you're, if everyone makes the playoffs, then, you know, I feel like we're, you know, you have to beat everyone. If you want to, win a championship you have to beat everyone anyway so you know where you start is not as as big of a deal it would be different if we were saying hey you know we're going to exclude some teams that that you know maybe are better than the second seed of a different region or something so and actually i'm a proponent of i would love to not have everyone make the playoffs i you know i think it should be a little bit more of a reward but if we're in that if we're in that sort of world of everyone makes the playoffs then, I, then what you just proposed i think makes a lot of sense And really what you would get, and and to your point, you're right. If you want to win the championship, you know, you could be the 20th team or the first team. It really doesn't matter. But if you take one or two in your region and are in that one to eight spot, it means you're getting a home game for the playoffs, which I think is a reward Yeah, uh, for for playing well in region. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, one thing that like, you know, I mentioned some of the inherent flaws of RPI. The one thing I don't like about, you know, ranking everyone else versus, you know, using the RPI is, you know, like I said, I think it's a sort of a a flawed metric. And one of the biggest things that I don't like for, don't like about it is, I mean, I guess two things. One, it doesn't really account for score. So, you know, we could, your team could win by 10 or or one and it's treated the same. And, And in some ways that's a good thing, but there's also information that's sort of lost there. If you beat a team by, by 10, I, I, I'm a very against running up the score, but like, if you beat someone by 10, you're quite a bit better than someone who beat them by one. You just, that's sort of, you know, if you beat them by one in overtime, that's very different than beating someone by 10. And so, you know, RPI doesn't count for that. It also, you know, punishes people who, who, you know, who play a weaker schedule. And in our case, a lot of those games are forced because of region play. And I'm not saying people should get rewarded for being 10 and 0 if they've only played sort of weak teams, but you also shouldn't be punished for being 10 and 0 if, you know, because you had to play eight games against uh, weaker teams. And, that, and that's kind of the realm that we're, we're in. And then the third one is because we're sort of isolated into regions and there's not a lot of cross plane, you know, you don't really get a RPI doesn't get a great sense for the best team in region one, or I'm not, I shouldn't say region one because I don't know about each region, but we'll just say region a could be really weak compared to region B, but because they don't play enough, RPI doesn't really pick that up. So that's why I'm a sort of against RPI and against, you know, I think there's other better metrics out there, but, and I, what I would love to see is a different, you know, what you described with the region winners and then except for instead of using RPI, use some other, other metric. Uh, And honestly, if you just did wins and losses, I think that would be as good as RPI. And so, um, 
you know, and is it fair? No, but nothing in sports is fair. I, you know, tell, tell anyone who will listen that if you're trying to make sports perfectly fair, then, then you're going to fail every time because it's inherently not fair. Right. And, and really the only fair way would be, you know, would be for each team to play each other. Yeah, exactly. And, and then you would have, you know, 40 games. <laughs> yeah. So, which obviously isn't ideal or, or realistic. So Taylor, thanks for coming on to the show. And anything else you want to mention? Anything else you want to talk about? No, I mean, I think I've probably uh, talked longer than anyone wants to hear. So I think we're good. This has been super fun. And, and I appreciate you having me out here to, to ramble on a little bit. No, I, uh, that's why we brought you on. And that's the beauty <laughs> of podcasts is people can tune out whenever they like. So, <laughs> and, and really, there's a lot of people who enjoy uh, long podcasts. And so, you know, this one was great. Thank you very much. And I'm excited to see what Tim View does the rest of the year. And, and best of luck. Awesome. Thanks, Tim. Hey, I appreciate it. And I just want to say thank you on behalf of everyone in the state for all your hard work. Honestly, you crush it. And like, it's been awesome to follow you along and Utah lacrosse like along. Cause I think what you're doing is awesome. And it, it brings a lot of people, a lot of enjoyment. So thank you for what you do. And, and I appreciate everything that you do for, for us and the, you know, the whole state. Thanks coach. I really appreciate that. You know, as John Oglesby said in my last podcast, it's, it's the people, the games come and go, but it's the people that, that help. And so, if we didn't have a great community, I would have stopped this a long time ago, <laughs> is the reality. So, <laughs> yeah, well, we all appreciate it. Thanks, Tim. Yeah, thank you, coach. And uh, we'll see you on the sidelines. Sounds good. Thanks.